Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kyle. And uh, good morning. Morning. My name is Derek Matthews. As Kyle said, I'm the men's equipping director up here at the Plano campus, and I am thrilled to be here this morning. But for those of you who may not know me as well, uh, let me just give you kind of a quick recap of the last, you know, about 30 years of my life. Uh, I grew up in Spring, Texas, uh, which is just north of Houston. Uh, I accepted Christ around the age of uh, seventh grade. Uh, went to a little school in College Station called the Texas A&M University. Hallelujah. And uh, after that, uh, during that time, though I accepted Christ in about seventh grade, I didn't really walk, start walking strongly with the Lord until college when I got linked up with a group of men uh, that were passionately pursuing the Lord and I just wanted to keep up. And so throughout college, I really fell in love with the Lord and started walking faithfully with him and started just naturally doing these things that we're talking about, these things called spiritual disciplines of reading your Bible and praying and things like that. Uh, senior year, I met who would be my wife. And uh, between senior year of college and about a year into uh, marriage, basically we graduated, uh, moved to Mansfield, got engaged, got married, bought a home. Uh, I got ordained, started ministry and started seminary. Um, so like basically every life thing outside of having a kid within about a year's time. So we just kind of rushed through everything out of college. Uh, fast forward about five years and I remember sitting in my home and making this list of things that I believed God was blessing me with in my life. Um, a wonderful wife, um, great home, a job that I could exercise my giftings in, you know, 2.5 dogs uh, in the household. Uh, really everything but a white picket fence. And I made that list not because I was celebrating what God was doing in my life, but rather I made that list because I was miserable. And I couldn't figure out why. Um, something in my heart wasn't clicking. And I literally just started opening up the booklet of my life and just kind of ripping out pages, kind of thinking about, is it this? No, is it this? No, is it this? No. And I kept on wrestling with God. Why do I feel this way? With everything going for me, why do I feel so distant from you, God? Why is the love that I once had for you feel so off now? And I started analyzing my life in that season of my life. And I realized that one of the reasons that I was feeling that way was the mere fact that at work, I had all these great opportunities. But the reason I had all those great opportunities is because I never said no to anything. Like I just kept saying yes and yes and yes and yes. And so I was the guy that came into the job and said, hey, I'll fix it. I'll take it on me and let me kind of take the ball and run with it. And I kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. And all of a sudden I began to realize that my life was running at a pace that my soul couldn't keep up with. Because the reality of it was, and I didn't even really notice this at the time, but as I kept on taking more and more and more stuff on me, my plate got fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller. And what happens when your plate gets fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller? Other things get pushed off. And the things that actually give your life meaning and purpose are replaced for just trying to earn a living. And that was my story. And I remember just kind of looking back on that season going, God, I had this love for you, this passion for you that just naturally kind of happened out of college because I wanted to pursue you, God. I wanted to know you. And so these things like prayer, 
like Bible study, like, uh, like meditation, memorization, like reflection, like uh, uh, resting and fasting. These things were just kind of naturally a part of my life because I was looking ahead at the author of life and I was connected with him and I just wanted to pursue him. And so these things naturally happened, but over time life got busy. And these things that I love to do became something that I just put on a list of things to do. And it doesn't take long for something to be on a list that they just become lackluster in your life. And it doesn't take long for them to be on a list and then for them to become lackluster that you just leave it all together. And so that was my story. And two years ago, I broke. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. My life was running out of place that my soul was not keeping up with. I was tired. I would wake up in the morning and not really want the rest of the day to happen. I would wake up in the morning and kind of think, hey, when's the next time I can take a nap? When's the next time, what's going on today? And I didn't wanna do anything of the day. Even if the things of the day were things maybe a year ago, I was gonna be really excited about doing just anything that I had on my schedule. I just go, I'm tired. I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna engage. And in a room like this, I would imagine that there's some of us that feel that way. Maybe you felt that way a year ago, maybe a month ago, maybe a week ago, maybe this morning you felt that way. That you woke up and just go, hey, there's a day that's in front of me and I just want it to end. I just want the day to end so I can get back, sit in front of my TV, sit in front of my, uh, just kind of have my comfort back on me and just kind of sleep and rest again because my life is running at a pace that my soul can't keep up with. And so when was the last time that you just felt tired, exhausted? Because the reality of it is we as men have this tendency of kind of taking more and more on ourselves that whenever life happens, we said, hey, I can handle it. Hey, something comes up to work. Hey, give, give me the ball. Because we wanna prove ourselves. We wanna show that we are worth something. We wanna prove that our life is worth living, that our life matters. And so what we do, a lot of us, is we take more and more on ourselves and say, hey, I'll be the guy, I'll be the king, I'll be the savior of my life. And if I can do that, then my life matters. Then something about my life is worth living. And so for me, that's the world I lived in. And I'm wondering if anyone in here feels the same way. That maybe you're in here and at one point you had this love for God and his word, but all of a sudden life happened and that love became a list. And that list became lackluster and that lackluster became something that you finally just left it all together. Because the reality of it is whenever I say the phrase spiritual disciplines, there's this spectrum of responses in this room. For some of you, you signed up for this summit because you heard about this thing called spiritual disciplines and you said, yes, I want this. I, I love the idea of spending time with God and I wanna sharpen that. And you say, yes, I came here so I can sharpen my ability to read the Bible, to pray and to uh, do these things. But for others of you, you look at those guys and you go, I, I wish I could be that guy. But the reality of it is, Spiritual disciplines for me are just something I put on a list of things to do because that's what good Christian men do, right? They read their Bible, they pray, they do stuff like this, but it's just on this list of things that I do. I wanna love it. And so I'm here because I want to love these things and I don't right now. For some of you, you say, hey, I've been on the list for a while and now it's just lackluster. I spend time with the word, but it doesn't connect with me. I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do these things. And so I keep on trying to love it, but. It's just on a list and because it's been on a list, it's become lackluster. 
And for a lot of us, whether it's one of them or all of them, we just leave them because we go, look, it's lackluster. It's not worth my time. I got all this other stuff to do. I'm just gonna push it all away. And so regardless of where you're at on the spectrum this morning or whether you've ever even been on this spectrum before, let me just encourage you with something that I took a long time to learn. I paid the idiot tax to learn this because I knew it in my head for a long time, but I didn't believe it in my heart. And that's this, that spending time with the author of life is where life is found. Spending time with the author of life is where life is found. I knew that intellectually for a long time. I got a degree in that for a long time. But that six inches from head to heart took me years and took me burnout and took me running at a pace that my soul couldn't catch up with. And so this morning, we're gonna be talking about this reality that disciplining yourself in these things like scripture reading, like prayer, like meditation, like memorization, disciplining yourself in these things actually lead to delighting in those things. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy, uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter four. 1 Timothy chapter four, and we're gonna pick up in verse six. And as you turn to 1 Timothy chapter four, what we're gonna see is this, is Paul the apostle writing and. If you know anything about Paul the Apostle, he wrote a lot of different letters, some to Rome, some to Corinth, some to these big metropolitan cities, but he wrote a lot of them too to these young influential guys in the faith. And one of those guys was a guy named Timothy and Timothy was in a culture at that time that really pushed away the things of God. Sound familiar? He was also in a culture at the time in which other believers in that time who claimed the name of Christ, started adapting the way of the world and pushing away the core doctrines of the faith. Sound familiar? He was talking to a younger guy in the faith. Paul was talking to Timothy and he was encouraging them in these letters to love well, to live courageously and to lead in a way that makes a difference. And so what Paul is telling to Timothy has everything to do with the world that we're in and the life that we live right now as men. And so as we unpack 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16, we're really gonna see this one idea play out in two parts. This one idea that from discipline comes delight play out in those two kind of separate parts. And so the first thing we're gonna look at is that the idea of discipline is simply training with the right tools. And then the second thing we're gonna look at as we break this idea apart is that delighting from discipline comes delight, but it's for yourself and for others. And so those are the two kind of major ideas that we're gonna do this morning. And so first up, discipline is training with the right tools. Let's read verse six together, or I'll read it. You can mentally read it with me. If you put these things before the brothers, that's us, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irrelevant or silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. So you look in this passage and you see two times in two verses, the word train, train yourself, be trained by these things. It's the weak Greek word gasmismo, uh, gaz, I'm not, I'm, I speak English. Um, gymna- uh, it's the Greek word gymnasia which is where we get the English word gymnasium or gym. And I love that word in the Greek because it's the idea of a weight room, of a training room. 
It's the idea that, hey, this is the place that you train yourself. This isn't the test. This isn't the trial. This isn't the game. This is the weight room. And so it's no surprise that this Saturday I'm watching the A&M game, all right? No surprise. Uh, my wife and I, uh, God bless her, she will, we don't have cable, and so she goes with me to a little place called Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, I'm married, I'm married up, guys. Uh, and we'll sit there, and you've been in Buffalo Wild Wings, there's like 8,000 TVs, you know, great date night. And uh, sitting there, watching all these games, uh, I never have once seen three hours of guys lifting weights. That would be weird. That would be a little awkward. What I see is what's happened from that weight room. Because the reality of it is, it doesn't matter if A&M's offensive line can bench more than the other team. What matters is what happens in the game and whether or not they use that training when it matters. And so the test of the believer is not in the training. The test of the believer is what happens when life really matters. And so the test of the believer is not whether or not you read your Bible. That's the training. That we're called to train ourselves in this weight room of faith, this weight room of spiritual disciplines so that when life really counts, when life really matters, when the game is on, we're ready. He says, hey, I want you to train yourself. And so he's calling us, hey, train yourself. But then he says, train yourself with the right tools. And so what are they? Well, Paul's gonna tell us, there's three of them in there. He says, I want you to train yourself with the words of faith, with of good doctrine and of godliness. The words of faith, good doctrine and godliness. And you're just thinking, okay, what does that mean? Well, as you really look at each and every one of those as an individual, words of faith is the idea is as, is as you open up the word of God, you're saying, okay, what is the scripture saying about this? What is it saying? What is it saying about how it affects me now, today, our culture, our world? But then good doctrine is saying, hey, what is scripture in its entirety saying about this one central topic? And so words of faith is what does it say? But good doctrine is what does it mean? What does it mean for me today, now, in this culture, in this time? And then godliness is now how do I apply it to my life? And so words of faith, what does it mean? Good doctrine, uh, or excuse me, words of faith, what does it say? Good doctrine, what does it mean? Godliness, how does it apply? If you've read ahead in your book, you know where we've got this from. That every single session outside of your first week actually has those three questions embedded into the curriculum. Observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, how does it apply? Where do we get that from? First Timothy 4, 6 and 7. Why do we put that in there? It's because those are the tools that God has given us in order to understand his word and to live it out. That God has given us these different tools and, and, and ways to, to train ourselves in godliness. And so that's why we put it in that curriculum. That's not arbitrary. That's the weights. And so discipline is training yourself with the right tools. And yet from discipline comes a delight that you don't just go to the weight room, but at a certain point you play the game. And you see that from discipline comes delight, both for yourself and for others. And so the first thing we're gonna look at and the first thing Paul talks about is that delight initiates with yourself as you discipline yourself to these things of God. And so let's keep reading in verse eight. It says in verse eight, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way 
as it holds the promise for this life and the life also to come. This is a trustworthy statement and deserving of full acceptance. And so notice again, two times the word value is stated. So just like two times the word training was stated, now he's saying two times the word value is stated. Why is he emphasizing this idea of value? He says, Paul's a man. And Paul knows that we as men naturally do things that we associate value with. And we don't do things that we don't value. And so we naturally pursue the things in life that we find any type of intrinsic value into it. And so many of you are about to leave here in about an hour or so and go off to work. You find some intrinsic value in work. You either like your job or you like the paycheck or you like the feeling you get by accomplishing something. There's some value attached to it. You're gonna go home tonight and probably watch something on TV. You watch that program because you find some value in it. It's entertaining, it's uh, interesting, it's educational, whatever you're at on it. If you're forced to do something that you don't find value in, you hate it. And so my wife and I have one TV in our little bitty apartment. If I go home tonight and I wanna watch the game and she wants to watch Dancing with the Stars, there's a value difference here. And the reality of it is with this value difference, if I'm forced to watch that, I'm gonna hate it. And so either I hope I win or more likely, I hope I have a friend that has a flat screen because she's winning that one. We naturally do the things that we find value in and we naturally avoid the things we don't find value in. And so the reality of it is the reason why many of us have pushed away this concept of spiritual disciplines is because we don't see value in it. And so when life starts to pick up, what's the first thing that goes? It's spiritual disciplines. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow because I don't have time today. I'll do that tomorrow. I don't have that time today. And Paul is saying right here that there is an intrinsic value in devoting yourself to spiritual disciplines. In fact, he's gonna compare this concept that we're all familiar with, which is physical discipline, physical training with the concept of spiritual discipline, spiritual training. He's still using the concept of a gym in a, in a game. And so what he says is, hey, Physical disciplines have some value. He's not discrediting them. He's not saying, hey, physical disciplines are evil and don't do it. He's saying, hey, they have some value to it, but they're temporary. And all of us in here know that because we looked at a mirror this morning, all right? I was 145 wrestling in high school. I'm not that anymore, all right? I got winded walking up the stairs the other day. I was like, what is wrong with me? Where did this come from? You know, like, and I know some of y'all are looking at me going, what are you like, 12? Like, wait until you're a little bit older, then you'll really know. And you're just validating my point all the more that you're a little bit further removed from your glory days of high school football. And so you just know this value all the more that, hey, physical discipline had some value. Maybe it got you a date. Maybe it got you a wife. Congratulations, you must've had a killer bod but it's temporary, it's fleeting, it has some value. Things of this world do have some intrinsic value to it. So these things aren't evil, but they're not eternal. And he says, hey, spiritual disciplines are of every value and they're eternal. He says, they, pro they hold a promise for this life and the one to come. There's a promise for this life. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the spirit is love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's the value of this life because the reality of it is so much of your life is spent in pursuit of those things, of love, of peace, of patience. Why do you want more money in the bank? Because you want peace. 
Why do you want that relationship? Because you want love. Why do you pursue certain things? Because you want all these different things that God promises freely. There's a value in this life that God wants to give you, but there's also a value in the life to come. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, hey, there's a day that we're gonna stand before God. And it has this analogy that you've built your life with these different materials, gold, silver, but then also hay and, and, and straw. And so God's gonna throw some kerosene on that. And then he's gonna light it with a match and set it on fire. Probably because God's a dude and he likes things on fire because all dudes do, right? It says he's gonna light it on fire and everything that isn't eternal is gonna burn up. And what's remaining is your rewards. He says, there is an intrinsic value in this life, but also the life to come as we pursue these spiritual disciplines. It's there's a value for yourself, yes, but there's also a value for others. Look at verses uh, 11 through 16 with me and just watch how emphatic Paul is being here. Look at all the commands. He says, command, teach, set an example, devote yourself, don't neglect these things, practice, immerse, keep a close watch, persist in these things. Why? Because verse 16 is for by doing so, you'll save yourself, yes, but also your hearers, those that are closest to you, those that are so close that they can actually hear you. And so the person in my life that's the closest to me is my wife. And so when I come home, and I haven't been engaged with the Lord and I haven't been living out of his strength, I'll come home and she'll ask how my day and I'll be like, fine. And she can read through that, all right? She can decode that message. She reads that first part where I just go, fine. And she knows it's not fine. And so most of your wives have that trick too, all right? And so when I come home stressed, anxious, tired, overwhelmed, it bleeds over to her. Whenever I was going through my burnout, I came home every day like that. And not only did she know that that was happening, but she started getting stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, burned out. Why? Because what was in my heart began to spill over to her. There's an intrinsic value for yourself, yes, but for those in your life. You studying the word of God isn't just for you. It says it might just save you, but save others as well. That that might be the instrument and means by which those in your life might come to know Christ more and be filled themselves with more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more love. And so if that's true, then what we ought to leave here today with is obvious. If disciplining produces delight for ourselves and others is true, then our takeaway is kind of obvious. We need to discipline ourselves to produce that delight. So how do you do it? Four ways, and we'll close. And if you've read the booklet, you know these. And so first up, you make it consistent. You make it consistent. You find a time of the day that you're the most alert. You find a place that you're the least distracted, and you find a plan that works for you but however you do it, you make it consistent. Second, you make it creative. You make it creative. That if this is the weight room, if training is the weight room and all the weights are the same, everyone's gonna do prayer, everyone's gonna do Bible study, everyone's gonna do meditation, but you might exercise those differently. 
And so you make it creative. You make something that uniquely works for you and you pursue it. You find out what stirs your affections for God and you pursue those things. You make it creative. Next, you make it communal. The Bible was never meant to be studied on its own, but rather in a group, say of men, say on Thursday mornings, say at 6.30, say at Watermark Plano, say in this room, you, you get where I'm going? So come each week ready to discuss saying, hey, I tried this in my life, I tried this in prayer, and now I wanna uh, share with you what God's been teaching me. And by doing that, you sharpen other men. Everyone needs a spotter. Everyone needs a spotter. You make it communal. Next, you make it a challenge. Men, we are men. <laughs> we like a challenge. We like to kind of jump to the next thing. We like to kind of climb the next mountain. And so for you as men around your groups each and every week say, hey, how can we make this a challenge? Hey, this week's on prayer, this week's on Bible study. How can we challenge one another to jump into this all the more? And so for me, I kind of looked ahead to all the different things that were coming up. And I've realized that there were certain ones that I felt really strong in, but there was other ones I felt pretty weak in. And so for me, just to be honest, specific memorization of scripture is not an area I'm strong in. And so I wanna make it a challenge for myself. And so right now I'm trying to memorize my favorite chapter of scripture, which is Romans eight. It's gonna take me probably a full year to do it. And so here's the challenge to you to keep me accountable. If you see me at any point in the next year, you can ask, recite Romans eight. And if I don't do that, challenge me, challenge me. I'm on verse four. So... It'll be a while. Make it consistent, make it creative, make it communal and make it a challenge. That's how you discipline yourself. And from that discipline comes delight. And so last story, it was two years ago that I broke emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, just everything. And that two years ago, as I broke, I just remember thinking, hey, my life is running out of pace that my soul can't keep up with. And I just spiraled, I was tired, I was exhausted. I would wake up and not wanna see the end of the day. But in that moment, God met me there. He met me there. And in that moment, God, it wasn't this overnight thing. It wasn't this instant thing. I didn't get myself to that place in a day. I was not gonna leave it in a day. And so slowly and surely over time, he kept pushing me not to have this massive revelation, but rather to discipline myself in these means of grace that he offers. And so I would read my Bible, not because it was on a checklist, I would beg God, God help me to understand these truths that are within it. I would pray, but not just had a routine. I would go on these prayer walks and just go, God, I'm dis I feel distant. I feel that there's all this stuff going on and I would just process my life out in front of him. I would rest and then I would work too hard. So then I would rest, <laughs> then I would work too hard, then I would rest. And in that I need a community to come around me and say, hey, you are running at a pace still that is too hard. I needed other people to push me into this. I began to do all these different spiritual disciplines and just make it consistent, creative, communal and made it a challenge in my life. And slowly and surely over time, those disciplines became a delight. And not just sit at spending time in my word, but it became a delight in my life. I have more joy now than I had two years ago. I have more patience now than I had two years ago. I have more peace now than I had two years ago. And on top of that, my wife and I are laughing more now than we were two years ago. 
because it doesn't just affect me, it affected her. And your spiritual life does not just affect you, it affects others around you. I have not arrived at any of these by far. I still wake up daily with lies in my head, fear, anxiety, condemning thoughts. But each day that just pushes me more into the fact that I need to discipline myself. I need to go to the weight room and train myself with the right tools. And every single day, God brings me back to the heart of this passage, which is the one verse I skipped, which is verse 10. That said, for to this end, we toil and strive. This is why we're in the weight room because we have our hope set in a living God, not Derek, not his performance, not what he can do for others, not for the things I can accomplish in this night, but my hope is set in a living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe, and that's me. And so it's worth it because he is worth it. It's worth spending time with him because he is worth spending time with. It's worth pursuing him in life because he is the author of life. And so my challenge to you men is to make it consistent, make it creative, make it communal and make it a challenge and watch how these disciplines become your delight. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. And I just pray now as we go and just get to know one another around our tables that we would rush uh, into a relationship with one another in terms of just saying, hey, this is where I'm at and this is where I hope to go. So Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for your word. And we ask these things through your spirit. Amen. Amen. For the next 45 minutes or so, y'all are gonna just chat around your table about life. There's some questions your leaders have. And at the end, I'm gonna come up and close us out. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, God did. For what the law could not do, weaken as it was in the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, Romans 8, one through four. So, close. So I memorized that uh, not because that's what good little Christian men do, uh, but I memorized that because I struggle with legalism. I struggle with self-condemnation. I self struggle with um, feeling like I constantly need to earn God's smile and earn God's approval, even though I know that I have it solely in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I'm doing it one verse a week. Every Sunday morning, I add another verse and I just use that all the way throughout the week. And so uh, my encouragement to you is to find that thing that challenges you. I've never done Romans eight before. I've never done a whole chapter of scripture before. Um, and I'm not memorizing it uh, just because I'm memorizing it because I need to hear from Jesus every morning when I wake up. Um, and that's one way to do it. And so at the end of each week, we're gonna have someone come up here and kind of close our time out. Uh, and so for this week, I'm my own closer. Um, so, uh, this week, uh, the reason for that is each week, you know, as we talk about Bible study and prayer and things like that, we're gonna have someone come up at the beginning and kind of teach on that. But at the very end, someone's gonna come up and say, hey, I just wanna invite you into my time in prayer or my time in Bible study or my time in fill in the blank um, to show you how I do it consistently, creatively, communally, and how I'm making it a challenge for myself. 
And so, but this week, uh, we aren't doing that uh, because this week is kind of the opening week and we wanna explain to you some of the stuff that's in uh, your uh, booklet in front of you. And so the first seven pages in this booklet are just filled with resources. Um, And so the pages I wanna kind of uh, push you to is pages four and five. So flip to pages four and five. And there's a method by which as you open up the word of God, we've already talked about it this morning, but there's a method by which that is a helpful way, not just to read the Bible, but really study the Bible to understand what is it saying? What does it mean? How does it point to Christ? And how do I apply it in my own life today? And so that method is found on page four. And it's a common method that some of you have heard before, but it's observation, which says, what does it say? And during that stage, you're just asking the text a lot of questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how. You're just throwing as many questions as you can at it. Some of the questions are obvious and you already know. Um, but you're kind of priming the pump in that moment to ask questions that maybe you don't know. And something that as you ask that question, you go, man, I don't know this and I need to go look it up. And that's where information and knowledge kind of increases. That's how you learned whenever you were a little kid. Uh, why is this? Why is that? Why is this? I mean, so observation is just throwing a bunch of questions at it. Then you take all the things that you kind of learned from that step and you put it into interpretation saying, hey, what does that mean? And you're trying to, in that moment, kind of say, hey, what's a universal principle or statement I can derive from this? Uh, All Christians at all times should believe in Jesus Christ. Like, like that's all people of all time should believe in Jesus Christ. That's a universal statement. That's something of saying, hey, I read, say, John 3, 16, And a universal statement derived from that is everyone everywhere at all times should believe in Jesus Christ. That's interpretation. Then transformation is how does it point to Christ? Uh, When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a little Bible study with his followers and said, hey, everything in the Old Testament points to me. Whenever he talked to individuals that really knew their Bible, he said, hey, you search the scriptures in vain, thinking that in them you have life. Those scriptures testify about me. And so regardless of where you're at in scripture, every portion of scripture in some way points to the person of Jesus Christ. He is a very big deal. And so as that that moment, really dwell on how does it point to Christ? Because that is where transformation happens. As we, as uh, 1 Corinthians says, behold the person of Christ, that's when we are changed. Not when we behold a discipline or something like that, it's when we behold him. And so then that leads to application, which is how do you put these things into practice? And you can use this little acronym SPECS, which as you're reading the passage, you say, hey, what are the sins it's calling me to avoid? What are the promises it's calling me to claim? What's the examples it's calling me to follow? What's the commands it's calling me to obey? And what are some of the significant truths within this passage? And that's just a helpful way as you're reading through the passage going, hey, how do I apply this in my world or my life? And at the end, you make it very personal. So it's not just... I should read my Bible more. Uh, But rather, hey, this week, every morning, I'm gonna set my alarm for 30 minutes earlier and I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna walk through the book of John. That's a very specific way to say, hey, as I'm reading through it, I've observed something, I've interpreted, it's been transformative in my life as I'm thinking about Christ. The significant truth might be that we need to be spending time in the word and that transforms us. And so my personal application is that every morning, 30 minutes earlier, I'm gonna set my alarm, wake up and read through the book of John. And so that's a very quick, just kind of overview of just Bible study 101. 
Uh, on those pages as well are just a lot of resources for all the different things that we're about to walk through. Prayer, uh, Bible study, memorization, mem meditation, rest and fasting and reflection. All of those resources are found throughout your book, um, but that, this is just the page that has everything just right in front of you. Um, and for you to kind of have a greater sense of how this Bible Study 101 works, page six and seven kind of covers an example of how that might look. It's giving you suggestions of like, hey, circle the verbs, uh, underline people and pronouns, use different colors, highlighters, things about that. Spend time this week, if you haven't already, really kind of sinking through this stuff. This is helpful ways, helpful tools and resources to connect you to what God has for you in your life. Um, so each week we'll follow the same kind of mindset. There'll be a verse on one side, some open spaces on the other side, and then uh, you'll have different areas of saying, hey, how can you make this creative in your life? And so we got together in a room with about five or uh, 10 people and just say, hey, how do you pray? What's a creative way that you pray? And we just listed everything out. Hey, what's a creative way that you spend time in memorization or meditation? We just listed those things out. So each week, give different ones of those a try. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's two things, maybe it's three things. Those are just suggestions of how to make it creative. So that's true of every week, except this week. So this week, all we're asking is this, on pages eight, nine, 10, and 11, what we're just asking is this, spend some time with the Lord. And as you do so, ask the Lord these questions. Hey, how am I doing with these various uh, spiritual disciplines? How am I doing with reading God's word? And how do I hope to grow in this area over the next several weeks? And you're gonna ask that about every single one. You might wanna do one a day so that you're not just you know, cramming on Wednesday night or really early Thursday morning. So try spacing it out throughout the week. And at the very last question is just a self-evaluation going, hey, where am I right now in my relationship with the Lord? And the reality of it is nobody has arrived yet. We all have ground to take. And so be honest about this. And next week we'll come and a part of your time next week is just to say, hey, this is the area I'm weak in. This is the area I'm strong in. And this is how I hope to grow and help me to challenge me in these areas. And so we are so excited for this. There's so many things I can't wait for y'all to see. There's so many resources that I go, hey, this has been hugely impactful in my own life and my own walk with Christ. And I cannot wait for us just to delve deep into these spiritual disciplines. And so we love you guys. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next time.